Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. John chapter 12, please. Amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday in the church calendar. Palm Sunday means next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And, um, and this week, uh, as you read the scriptures, there's a lot taking place in the Gospels You read of the, uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem with the branches um, waved and placed on the floor in front of him. You read of, um, of then the, the time in Gethsemane in the garden. You read of the Last Supper. You read then, um, especially in John's Gospel, of all the things Jesus said and prayed in the upper room. After that time, uh, you read of the crucifixion, it took place on the Friday, and you read of the resurrection that took place on the Sunday. So, we're going to read some passages from uh, the events of that week. And uh, John, is, John is the one, if you were here last Sunday, as Richard showed us those clips on the... Uh, those movie clips, John is the one who is there till the very end, standing there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. He's the one who describes himself as the one Jesus loved. Uh, We know Peter, James, and John, James being John's brother and Peter. We know Peter, James, and John were the seemingly the closest Uh, the closest to Jesus, and and of those three, John, probably the closest yet. He is Jesus's, I think Richard last week called him Jesus's best friend. There's a real closeness with John, and and John, therefore, is, is is the closest eyewitness to all that's taken place. Matthew was there as uh, there for most of it, obviously, but, but John is the closest eyewitness. And this fourth gospel, which differs in its layout to the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, contains um, from chapter 12 onwards, uh, which is uh, sort of half the gospel, the first half is, is devoted to aspects of Jesus' public ministry over the three years, but this second half, from chapter 12 all the way through to, I think, it's 21 is the last chapter in John, all those chapters are dealing with just these last few days. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Half the gospel devoted to the last week. And in fact, um, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters devoted to just a few hours in the upper room. 
So we're going to read from John 12. And I wanted to start here because these are verses I read as we kicked off our um, Cross and Crown um, series. We read these verses from John 12, verse 23, and then we'll go into John 13. John 12, 23. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. And then I want to take you to John 13, first verse. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, had given everything into his hands, and that he'd come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. And next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, 
but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, you are not all clean. And when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. We'll stop there. It's a remarkable story. It's a remarkable moment. And um, when you read from chapter 13 through the, especially the next, the next few chapters which describe the events in this upper room. John, John doesn't actually describe the Last Supper. He mentions the supper a couple of times. He doesn't describe the bread and wine, but he, it's clear this is the same occasion, the same, the same time. And then what goes on, if you have a Bible with red, with red writing for the words of Jesus, you've got four or five chapters of red. This is the, the, the upper room discourse. This is Jesus sharing with his disciples and, and praying for them and praying for the world. And, and wow, you know, you, you're there in the room with them and you're tingling. The atmosphere must have been electric. And um, in the story I've just read in John 13, the story of the foot washing, of the, the washing of the feet, in a few lines that describe a few minutes is a picture of the whole of God's purpose in coming. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, um, he talks about the time that he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he describes it as, as the time that Jesus was revealed in him. It's an interesting statement. He doesn't say the time Jesus was revealed to me, but the time Jesus was, was revealed in me. And I just have a, have a thought this morning. What, what I want to share is, um, is quite devotional. Um, but there are some things that I think aspects of Jesus that need to be revealed in us. I pray they'll be revealed to us, but to have something revealed in you, it goes a bit further, doesn't it? Yeah. I've not only seen something of Jesus, but I've, he, he's come into me. Wow. Jesus, wow. these aspects of Jesus have been revealed in me, revealed in me. So, so I hope um, and pray that that's what will happen this morning. And, and there are just five things I want to um, highlight from the, this description of the foot washing. The first thing is this, Jesus knew. Verse 1 says, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And this was his hour. The cross, everything that's about to unfold, this is his hour. And um, it's the culmination of his earthly ministry. It's not the end of his ministry. We'll come to that at the end. It's the culmination of his earthly ministry. And it's awful and it's shocking. It's a climax. And it's, and it's all about to unfold. And, and so John, who was there with him, 
even at one point laying his head on Jesus' chest. That's how close he was. He's saying Jesus knew that his hour had come. This is, what's about to happen is, is, is going to be awful. But Jesus is Lord of all. This is his hour of glory. This is not Satan's hour. This is his hour. I know some versions say the hour had come. When you, when you read the original language, it's quite clear that there's a little pronoun in there. This is his hour. This hour belongs to Jesus. It's nobody's hour but his. And that matters because from the time of his baptism, three years earlier, maybe before that, but we don't have enough information to describe that, but from the time of his baptism to the time of his crucifixion, he was Lord of all the time. He determined when things would happen. Nothing took him by surprise. He decided what would happen and when it would happen. Sometimes he did things specifically to fulfill the scriptures. But all of this is his hour. And this final few hours, and these, these, these few minutes that we're describing here, and, and all of it is his hour. This is his hour. And he is Lord of all. He is never caught unawares. He is always ahead of the game, determining things. Master of all, Lord of all, Lord of all time. And when it says he knew that his hour had come, that, that, that word means he was fully aware. He's fully aware. Um, verse 3 it says something similar. It says he knew the Father had given everything into his hands. In the message it says he knew that God had put him in complete charge of everything. And that he'd come from God and that he was going back to God. And we'll come back to those words in a moment. You know, because Jesus lived his whole life in submission to his Father, he knew he was fully aware of what was his, of where he'd come from, and where he was going. Verse 2 says, The devil put it in the heart, into the heart of Judas to betray him. That's... Um, that's an interesting statement. But if you go back to John chapter 6, verse 70, yes, there's 70 verses in John 6. John 6, verse 70, and you read that, you realize that the devil might have put it into the heart of, of Judas to betray him around that time, perhaps, but Jesus knew it in John 6. Jesus replied, didn't I choose you, the 12, yet one of you is the devil? He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. Jesus knew all that. Jesus knew he would betray, be betrayed. He knew his, who his betrayer was. Jesus, in fact, although when you read on in chapter 13, um, Jesus replied to John, uh, the betrayer is the one I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it. And when he dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas. What I'm trying to say, folks, is Jesus was Lord of everything. Amen. He ordered 
and determined his life. He wasn't killed by Satan. He wasn't killed by the Jews. He wasn't killed by the Romans. He wasn't killed by the Father. He gave up his life. Jesus was, is, and always will be Lord of all. And if he was able to order and determine his own life, don't you think he can do a pretty good job with ours? He wants... I, I, I feel that we need, a, we need a revelation of how much he knows. He knows everything. <laughs> and he wants to lead and order your life and my life according to his good purpose. We need only to submit and entrust everything to him. He doesn't want us to be a victim of circumstance. He doesn't want us to um, let others dictate events to us. He wants to take the lead in our lives and make us the head and not the tail. I don't want to make this devotional about us at all. It's about him. But there are some implications for us. He knew, Jesus knew his hour had come. It also says in verse 1, that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew and he loved. Um, I can't add much to what Richard shared last week. It's fantastic, wasn't it? About the love of God displayed on the cross. Um, but when you, when you read that opening verse there, he, he, having loved them, having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the end. What John is about to describe is not just the foot washing. It's, it's the much bigger unfolding of what's about to happen. He now loved them till the end. The, the cross of Jesus is the manifestation of the full extent of God's anger and hatred and wrath against sin and the full extent of his victory and his judgment of Satan and the full extent of his love and his compassion for mankind. So we said right at the beginning of this time that John 3.16 is not to be understood as God so hated the world that he killed his son. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Those, I don't want to say too much about this, but just those, that second half of verse 1 in other translations says variously, he loved them and continuously loves them with his perfect love to the end, eternally. He loved them to the last and to the highest degree. He loved them to the very end. He continued to love them right to the end. He loved them all the way to the end. He loved them right through to the end. He loved them with the same way, right to the end. He will never stop loving you. He'll never stop loving us. He'll never give up on you. The love of God never gives up, never runs out. He will always love you. Betty, Ryan, God will always love you. Jesus will always love you right to the very end. He knew and he loved. And then the third thing I want to say is this. He stooped. He stooped. Verse 4 says this. 
So he got up from the supper, and he laid aside his robe, and he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. He laid aside, he took off his robe, his outer garments, and in order to do what he was about to do, he bent down, he stooped down to wash their feet. Now, I'm sure you know that the washing of feet was the job of a servant or a slave. That's what makes this so profound. This is why Peter protests, Lord, you you shouldn't wash my feet. That is the wrong way around. But that's what he does. And, 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 and what we have here is a, is a profound picture. Suggest three, th- three ways this is a picture for us. First of all, it's a picture of what has already happened in the incarnation. Jesus laid aside, took off the robe of his deity, of his majesty, And he bent down from heaven and came down to earth. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, in fact, we should turn there. Philippians 2 verse 6. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave and taking on the likeness of men. And when he'd come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. He laid aside his deity. He emptied himself. That that word emptied himself, the word is ekonosin, to empty out, to to render void, to remove the contents. Another version say he stripped him, he gave up his divine privileges, the New Living says. Or the Amplified said he stripped himself of all the privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant and of a slave. The the living Bible says he laid aside his mighty power and glory. He's already done it once. He's already taken off a robe once, a, a robe of mighty power and glory, a robe of majesty, a robe of divine privileges, of divine powers, when Jesus came to earth, when, when, the, when the second person of the Trinity came to earth, he laid aside his majesty. He was always God, but he laid aside all his divine privileges and, and rights and all his divine powers and came to earth as a man, taking the guise of a servant. So what Jesus is doing here in the foot washing as he takes off his garment and as he bends down is is a picture of what he's already done in coming to earth. And then, of course, it's a picture of what's about to happen on the cross where he will be stripped, where they will gamble for his robe, where he will lay aside his life 
where he will bend down to the uttermost and go down into the grave and provide cleansing for sin. He laid aside. The same word, laid aside, the same word is in John 10, 11, where it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep is the same word. It's a picture. I don't know how, they didn't understand much of it. He says to them, what, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but you will do. I just think they're, they're, they're in awe, they're, they don't know what to make of this. The master is washing our feet. The master's taken his robe off, he's stripped down, he's, he's put a towel around his waist. But he's showing them something. The other thing he's showing them, the other picture is, is what will happen after the cross. Because foot washing was a, foot washing took place when a guest was welcomed into a home or when a stranger was received as a friend to sit around the table. And isn't Jesus here expressing the hospitality of a host? Isn't he acting as a host? Isn't he saying, you're welcome into my father's house? What a wonderful picture. In Psalm 18, thanks to my mother for um, this reference, Psalm 18, verses 30 to 36, we'll just read them, but I want to just uh, mention one in particular, Psalm, 30, Psalm 18, verse 30, God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. God who clothes me with strength, makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arm can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. And your humility exalts me. You widen a place beneath me for my steps and my ankles do not give way. Your humility exalts me. That word, um, it has the sense of his gentleness, of his, the help he gives, and some of the versions say that. But there's also within it the idea of condescension, of coming low. And, and some versions say, you have stooped to make me great. That's what Jesus is doing. He's stooping to wash their feet. He's already stooped to come down to earth. He's about to stoop on the cross and go into the grave. And it's all to make them great. You stooped to make me great. God stooped. The one who laid aside his majesty to come down to earth is now stooping further to take the role of a servant and wash feet. Tomorrow, in the story, tomorrow, Friday, he will stoop even further as he hangs on the cross. And then he'll stoop even further as he descends into somewhere to set prisoners free and take captivity captive. In the incarnation, he stooped to lift up mankind. In the upper room, he bends down to wash his disciples' feet and give them dignity. On the cross, he went to the grave and he was buried in the earth to raise us up into new life. He stooped 
so you could stand. He bent down so you could be lifted up. He humbled himself so we could soar to the heights. You have stooped to make me great. You might think like Peter, Lord, how can you do this? How could you become a slave, Jesus? How could you stoop so low? Well, verse 3 tells us exactly how he could do it. And this is key for us. Let's just read from verse 2. By the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Here's the key. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he'd come from God, that he was going back to God. So he got up, laid aside his robe. How could he do it? Because he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he had. He knew exactly where he'd come from. And he knew exactly where he was going. Identity. His identity, his inheritance, his history, his destiny. And they led Jesus, just as they'll lead you and I, if we let them, to the utmost security and humility. He didn't wash their feet in spite of who he was. He washed their feet because of who he was. Because he knew who he was. Knowing who we are, knowing where we, um, what we have, knowing where we've come from, knowing where we're going. Those of you that were here yesterday for the Zealots Day, which was a fantastic day, and uh, Richard made a point in his seminar, um, the key to serving is knowing where you belong. Jesus knew exactly where he belonged. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. He knew the Father had given everything into his hands. He was able to bend down and wash anybody's feet because of who he was. Amen. The fourth thing I want to say is he, um, he washed he began, verse 5, he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he says to um, Peter, doesn't he, um, uh, you're, you're already complete. I'm just sort of getting rid of some dust and mud and dirt. You're already clean, but I'm just dealing with bits that got a bit mucky again. And um, it's, this, of course, is, again, it's a picture. It's a picture of the ultimate act of servanthood that will take place the next day as he makes all mankind clean again. And he says, what I'm now doing, what I'm doing you now, you don't understand now. What I'm doing, you don't understand now. Do you know, five days earlier, in John, um, beginning of John 12, five days earlier, Mary, the sister of Martha, had washed Christ's feet with perfume, anointed his feet, dried them with her hair, and it says on that occasion that the, the fragrance filled the house. It's an amazing picture of, of worship and devotion. Is that the fragrance filled the house. I think on this occasion, now five days later, as Jesus washes his disciples' feet, awe filled the house. 
They were stunned. Incredulity filled the house. Today, as he washes them on, 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 this, on this Thursday, today it's mud and dirt and dust that are being removed. But tomorrow, Friday, he's going to remove sin. Today he's using water. Tomorrow he'll shed his blood. And then you get this interaction with Peter, don't you, Lord? You will never wash my feet, ever. But when Jesus explains, Peter, if, if, I don't, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And he's like, God, wash everything. <laughs> wash everything. He has to wash us if we're going to be involved with him. He has to wash every part of us. I just want to say, if you want to be part of him, if you want to participate with him, if you want to be with him in his church, with him in his mission, with him as he extends his kingdom to the ends of the earth, let him wash you. And don't hold anything back. Let him wash every part of you. Let him have access into every part of your life. Take off every outer garment of your own. Take off every outer garment, every bit of pride, every bit of self-sufficiency, every hard hardening of your heart, every independence, every stubbornness. Take off everything and let him wash you completely. Amen. And then when he's done all that, you kind of think you've reached the end of the pictures by the time you get to verse 11 because there's, there's almost too many to take in of what this is representing, of, of the metaphors, of the, the pictures in this. But then verse 12 tells us this, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again. See, he's finished the task. He's finished the task of cleansing. Now he puts his robe back on. And now he sits down again because his work is finished. And three days later, when he's finished his work on the cross, when he's finished his work on earth, he will rise again and sit down again at the Father's right hand in majesty and glory. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says he demonstrated this power in the Messiah. Ephesians 1.20, by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavens. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says the Son, oh we should turn to this. We should turn to Hebrews 1 verse 3, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. There's certain bits of Scripture that are just like poetry, aren't they? They just wash into you. This is, for me, this is some of them, these few verses. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, 
whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Just as a little sort of um, second half of a sentence. He made the universe through Christ. He is the radiance of his glory. The exact expression of his nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He put his robe back on. He clothed himself again in majesty and glory. His work was finished. And he sat down. He reclined. Jesus has returned to glory. His earthly work is finished. He's received his majesty. He's taken back what he laid aside. He's reclined at God's right hand. And now his ministry continues. His earthly ministry is finished. But his ministry continues. And and I know of a few ways. Number one, he's sustaining all things. (laughs) What's Jesus doing now? He's sustaining everything. Sustaining all things through his powerful word. It says the same in Colossians. Is Jesus' work finished? Well, his work on earth is finished, but he's still working. He's sustaining everything. He's sustaining the universe. And he's interceding for you constantly. (laughs) Jesus is still at work, sustaining all things and interceding for the saints. By the way, the universe that he's sustaining is constantly growing. I'm not saying he's still creating it. It was created with, a, with some inbuilt properties that would keep it forever growing. And Jesus sustains all that and prays for you, Mary. He prays for you, Jack and Beryl. Jesus prays for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you. Jesus himself intercedes for you. I love that song we sing. He, uh, he, he intercedes until the lost become the found. He's still, but then he doesn't stop praying for you then. But, but he's, he's interceding for all the lost to become found. Sustaining the universe. Extending his kingdom. Sitting at his Father's right hand. Make no mistake, folks. Jesus is seated on his throne in power and glory in peace and in harmony. And so we come to the end of this, this, these few minutes that John describes so beautifully for us. And we find we end where we started. He's in total control. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Lord, we want to thank you for this tremendous picture that John gives us of the God who stooped down to lift us up. And I want to pray, Lord, this morning for all those who need to know, Lord, this morning your your intense knowledge, your complete knowledge and ability to look after our lives. I want to pray we will, we will hold nothing back. Nothing need hold us back, Lord, except that we hold things back from you. 
We want to hold nothing back. We want to give you all of our lives and say, Lord, you looked after your own life with supreme ability. We entrust ours to you as well and say, Lord, you know best. You know all things. This is your hour, Lord. This is your hour on the earth. And what greater joy is there than for us to entrust and submit ourselves to you and say, Lord, would you look after my life the way you looked after your own? I want to pray that we know holding back today. I want to pray, Lord, that as you, as you um, want to wash every part of us so we can have a part with you, Lord, we will hold nothing back. We won't have areas of our lives that we keep from you. I want to pray, Lord, for any in the room with us this morning. For any of us, Lord, who've been holding back and keeping some parts intentionally dirty that there'll be an opening up today allowing you to wash every part make us clean all over Lord we pray I want to ask you Lord that we as a people will be so secure knowing where we've come from knowing where we're going knowing all that you've given us that we will never have any difficulty humbling ourselves and serving you and serving others. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.